everybody. Welcome to Better Homes and Dungeons. The first episode that we've recorded after nothing has finished in the States at all and um, it's not perfect yet, but we'll get there, I hope, people. Um, jo joining me today is someone who I've wanted to speak to for quite some time, but due to my own inability to organize my life in a way that's actually fruitful and, you know, um, useful, um, I haven't been able to, but I've been looking forward to it. Um, my friend, who are you? Um, and, and you are doing a thing, but we'll start with who are you first. I am Peter Young. I am, well, I have two jobs. My day job, I am a counselor for a family behavioral health agency where I work in crisis stabilization. You know, you've got a situation where there is a youth who is frequently being hospitalized or there is some type of imminent, uh, you know, high-risk behavior. We go in there, we work on trying to identify the behaviors, working with the youth, working with family, and stabilizing things to kind of help things just go a bit more smoothly. Um, my evening job, or rather weekend job, I run Dungeons & Dragons social skills groups with autistic teens, and I've been doing that for about, uh, about six years now. And that is very cool. It's, it's kind of interesting that... Um, now, th this may may or may not shock you, but you're probably the maybe third, fourth, or fifth person I've spoken to who uses Dungeons & Dragons for, or, or any other tabletop roleplay game, for specifically that kind of activity. <laughs> um, and that actually gives me a lot of, you know, a lot of, I guess, Call it a certain amount of vindication when it comes to like engaging in this specific hobby and community and whatnot. Because like, cool, this can actually be used for more than just like a nice time with my friends. So it's interesting to kind of see how it's changed. Uh, so I got into it um, about six years ago. Mm. That's when I started running my social skills groups, um, and I was brought in. Uh, to work with uh, Dr. Rafael Bocamazzo, uh with Aspiring Youth. And uh, we, um, we ran this group and then he uh, went off to go be the clinical director of Take This, which is an amazing uh, mental health resource for video gamers. And I kind of took over this group and I actually uh, hired one of my former students from the group to be my co-facilitator. So we're kind of going on our second generation of D&D social skills facilitators. That's cool. Um, and I've also um, been able to kind of break into the uh, nonprofit family stabilization front with running kind of family therapy D&D, mm. um, where you have kind of families that have a really hard time communicating or even sitting down at a table together. Now getting to the point where I, I, I roll up and they're already sitting down at the table outside and they've got their dice ready and they, they can't wait to go throw some like level 12 monster against me. It's, it's been remarkably effective. That, and that's kind of just the tip of the iceberg. I've been using a lot like Minecraft and stuff as well. That, that is very cool. And I suspect I may need to pick your brain over a bunch of things um, later. Uh, I, I can say, though, um, earlier this year, I started a um, uh, a fifth ed table where we've been doing the Lost Minds of Fandelva or Fandelin, whichever it is. Um, and I've been doing that with my nine-year-old and some of his friends from school. And it was like a, you know, look, you are not seeing people. We need to do something to keep you socialized. 
So this is what we're doing. And, you know, they're in like the final stages, you know, they're, they're in Wave Echo Cave. Um, and it's cool because they have been using this as a really, really good social time. And in all honesty, like if, if our sessions aren't on for that week, then I, I'm dealing with some very disappointed nine-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it's been kind of interesting talking about how things have been different with the quarantine. Uh, my group switched over to Discord mm -hmm. and having all those extra channels is really cool. And I created a spam channel for the kids to just spam whatever they wanted. And there is some serious all work and no play makes Johnny a dull boy energy <laughs> where I will just see, I want to play D&D. &D, I want to play D&D. &D, I want to play D&D. &D, just repeated hundreds yeah. of messages. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I've, uh, I look, I, I've had, I've had to deal with that in my Skype thing with these kids. Um, but, but also, uh, like one thing I've noticed is you've got to be very strong on the boundaries that you set. Like, no, we don't mute each other. If you, if you do that, then that's going to be a two minute sit down time. And I've found that's been pretty good too. As far as, um, kind of behavioral issues at the table, uh, there are, all kinds of kind of interesting ways around that. Okay. I think what we did um, back when we were in person that I really liked, we actually had a whiteboard where we would give XP bonuses for good behaviors okay. and XP penalties for things like, you know, talking over each other or like disrespecting each other. So all that stuff would, uh, you know, if the table is having a really hard time, mm one of the kids might look at the, the tallies and be like, guys, we're, we're, we're netting negative experience today. And they would all suddenly realize, uh Oh, we, we need to start really getting it together. And then there were other times when they were like, I really want to get to level six today. Let's, let's all raise our hands and just be perfect. And I would just be sitting there like, you guys have barely done anything, but you're acting so well and you're going to level and you're not supposed to level yet. And this is going to be bad. <laughs> Well, it was great. It, it, it's definitely something I know about being. A, I, I've sorry learned about being a dungeon master. It was rather like it, it y'all. If you if if you wish to push for ten, as far as your power levels go, don't worry. I can dial to eleven. You know, my my counterpoint has been that it is so ridiculously esoteric in my campaign hmm. that there has been practically no combat one of okay. the characters is playing a tax accountant wizard which uses a school of magic that he homebrewed <laughs> and and we we work together to make it happen and it's beautiful I, there's also a lot of pro wrestling i assume oh that's well that's Pretty cool. I, I assume that the, uh, the the number wizard there he uh, uses his powers to get one over on other people. <laughs> yeah, there's there's also a pun channel, and there's actually a mechanic where there is a cryptocurrency that whenever the kids make me groan with a pun, they get one one more cryptocurrency. It's it's painful. It is a very good thing uh, that the dungeon master of the uh, game I play in has not instituted that. Otherwise, like, yeah, my, my character would be way too wealthy. There, there would be problems. Oh, there absolutely are problems because the the minute they start being cryptocurrency millionaires, they've got a big old target on their back. 
I would be a dead man in that game. Um, <sighs> now, now, Peter, you you are doing really really cool stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You you are running these things for kids. Um, what, what I would like to know is like how how did you get started in in this wonderful world of Dungeons and Dragons and and Cthulhu being called? <laughs> so. I've been playing D&D for about 20 years, and um, I've always been super passionate about it. You know, when I was growing up, I was very much an unpopular kid. I got picked on a lot, but I had this group of friends, and we would play D&D, and I'm still close with these guys. Um, I I literally just hung out with them yesterday um, online, Mm. but... uh, we were still very close um, and be, because of our shared adventuring. But D&D really helped me through a lot of my depression growing up, a lot of my feelings of isolate, yeah, isolation. Um, you know, I was this weird kid with ADHD that no one really liked to hang out with. But, you know, I, I got to be a hero with my friends and I could cast healing spells and be a worthwhile person when I didn't have those feelings in real life. So I realized very early on that D&D has um, potential to give someone a feeling of worthiness. Um, and uh, so what what I then went on to do after I got my psychology degree in college was I was working in a foster care system and I did a little bit of D&D work there. Hmm. And while I was doing that, I started running a uh, D&D groups at my friendly local gaming store. And unbeknownst to me, the owner of the store was telling all his foster parent friends that, hey, here's this guy. He's he's some type of social worker that works with foster kids. You should take your kids to these games. So I'm, I'm getting all these kids showing up at my uh, games. And then these parents who are foster parents are like, you're amazing. I've never seen this kid light up like that. I don't know what you did, but it's awesome. So I uh, then went on to get my master's in education, and that's when things really started clicking around intentional D&D design, because mm. I was doing lesson planning. And, you know, such a huge part of being a teacher is really intentionally planning your lessons and doing all that stuff. So I, I was doing lesson planning and thinking, God, I could use this to make some really cool D&D adventures. And then I got my teaching degree and immediately went into the tech world because I needed to pay off a lot of debt. And that was when I I started working for Aspiring Youth. And I have been really um, intentionally using kind of a goal-based session planning model that really focuses on things like behavioral goals, uh, role-playing goals, and ways for you to connect the plot with what sort of role-playing you want to see at the table versus what sort of behavior you want to see at the table. And so I created a whole system for that. I've been using that to really, really wonderful effect. And so I've seen a lot of fantastic progress time and time again uh, with my groups. Uh, Kids going from, you know, barely talking at all to being the leader of the group where, you know, it, it, when they open their mouth, the entire group is silent just to hear what they have to say. Yeah, that's so very, it's, that it's, is very cool, my friend. <laughs> it's so much fun, dude. Yeah. I, I, it's always amazing to see kids who don't have friends or ha- have never really had the opportunity to have friends start getting into friendly banter and just kind of playfully you know 
slamming each other and just giving each other a real rough time and in a good way in a good way oh yeah yeah in a completely normal way where they're they're just ragging on each other and it's just like they've they're so natural in this and this game has given them a context and a framework to kind of poke fun at each other in an absolutely affectionate way and i'm so happy about it that's that's really cool i also um I I was a I was an ESL teacher for a little bit. Um, oh, yeah. Like so, I I would not yeah. say I was a proper teacher. I was a very I was a very casual teacher, and yeah, l- lesson planning was always one of those things that I looked at and I thought, yeah, this is this is not the fun part of this. Um, and, and I remember like there, there was always exercises that you'd look at and think, okay, this seems dry and boring, but what's the what's the right way of changing this to make this actually engaging and Mm -hmm. what i discovered was well the right way to make this actively engaging is to kind of like and and this was something that we learned was like make it as less about the teach as little about the teacher as possible and it is all about the students center things on them Mm -hmm. and i think that student-centered learning yeah yeah yeah. and i think as a dungeon master you've got to have player-centered knights yeah yeah i i think or, or sessions be- sessions rather sorry yeah no I, I think that's what i really like about the the model that i do is i have an overarching behavioral goal plot goal role playing goal etc and then for each student in my group i identify what sort of behavior you know i'd like to see you know whether that's kind of speaking up a little bit more or you know not snapping at others or you know being able to communicate with one of the other kids at the table. And then I kind of think, okay, what can I do in the plot that'll make that happen? What can I do in the role-playing front to make that happen? Oh, you've got a kid who struggles to just talk in general. How about I have him get separated from the rest of the group and he has to go ask for instructions from one of the NPCs um, or something like that. And then have that kid's separation be a big plot point for the rest of the group because, you know, hey, where's joe where's johan he has vanished and we we, we gotta go track him down in the the forest of darkness and so you know you suddenly have the group rallying around this kid who might have been previously really having a hard time connecting and so i've seen that happen um a number of times and you have to be very kind of intentional in how you do it and very careful not to make kids uncomfortable but i think once you get comfortable enough doing this you can tell when like the right time to do things like that is yeah so, sorry i was just yawning and um i apologize and, and there's unfortunately no, no way fine. no way i can edit this out because that's not how audio <laughs> works um yeah i mean i i i thought about that and i always what i've noticed in again like going back to my nine-year-olds is i've kind of noticed so we've essentially got like you know a fighter a druid and a wizard and what i've found a lot of the time is by very specifically getting one kid to do what their character is good at and having a plan and say, okay, well, you know, how do you want to do it? Oh, I'm going to do it this way. Okay, great. Well, you know, ro- click on the skill, roll the dice, etc., etc., And having a plan sometimes so they can succeed even when they fail is not a bad thing. Like one example might be, say, you know, you want to get a bit more out of the wizard character. So you say, okay, you know, you're in a library, you're looking around for things. Okay, like, give me a roll to see if you can find the book you're after. And they fail and you say, oh, okay, you know, you 
you, you drop a book and then suddenly a, a very helpful looking elf comes around the corner and says, hey, um, can I help you? And technically, the character failed. But mm -hmm. you can use that failure and say, no, 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 no. If you fail, that's okay because there's someone here to help you. And that is both, mm. A, a really, really heartwarming message, I think, to say, look, it doesn't matter. Like, yes, you, you, you're going to stuff up now again, but that's okay because there's people around who, who are here to help you. And that's a good lesson for them to take home, A. Um, but also, you also kind of like re-empower their character to have a success even when they fail. And this isn't to say that you get rid of all failure. Letting the kids fail from time to time is actually, I've found, really, really healthy and helpful because they mm. realize, okay, I have failed at a thing. What do I do now? How? What, what's the next thing that I can move on to? And and those are like both and all. I think very very, I I I, I would say very healthy lessons for kids to learn. Well, I I think um, something that happened recently in one of my uh, sessions or social skill sessions, a kid got dropped by a uh, attack, and it was his failure to dodge it. The rest of the group rallied around him. Yes. And so it was that kid's failure and he was heartbroken, but the rest of the kids were like, no, you got this. And he's making death saving throws and he got a 20 when all the kids were chanting, get a 20, get a 20. He got a 20. The entire group exploded like, whoa. Yes. 20. And he's like, okay, this person think they just thinks they destroyed me. I get right back and be like, what? You think that was tough? And they, and I was like, oh, they start snarling and like do, drooling. They're so angry. Do, does frothing the, at the mouth. Yeah. Do, does the old spits out a mouthful of bud? My turn. <laughs> that 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 old that old that old thing. And that's mm -hmm. that's great. I mean, that's yeah. cool to give a kid that. But, but that is also the, when the universe says, yes, kindness and encouragement are the way forward. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, it was one of those things where, like, I was actually a little worried because this kid was yeah. taking it really hard. And it was just, you know, the, the dice um, were were not on his side that, that day. But then they absolutely were on his side. And I think it illustrated very clearly that, you know, they're, they are a group that cares about each other mm. and cheers each other on. And to hear the entire group chanting over discord get a 20 get a 20 and then the the, the, the howling was was awesome that because, is you know yeah. in, in this time where everyone's so isolated to have that sort of yeah you know big big moment i think was was something that a lot of them had not had in a long time yeah and, and i think it's something that we as humans need particularly with other yeah. humans like we 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 need those like you know the, those moments of story and shared success where it's like oh dude were you there when he rolled the 20 <laughs> i was there man i was right with you i was chanting away and it's great because you suddenly get like this wonderful addition to the group dynamic where suddenly mm -hmm. everyone's like yes we remember that that was awesome S uh, yeah the the most effective way of doing that i found um has been a tool I've used a couple times, and that's the pro wrestling match. And my last time I did it, I actually uh, put it over three sessions. So the first session was the 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 setup, where they they all had to choose what their job was for putting on this pro wrestling match. So three of the kids decided, okay, we're we're gonna be the wrestlers. 
One of them was a promoter. One of them was like in charge of spreading rumors and like lies about the enemy wrestlers. One of them was a costume designer. Two of them were special effects. Um, and so they all had, all had a very specific job to do. And, you know, the, the failures and successes didn't matter because, you know, if, if one of the characters failed to, you know, su suplex one of the other ones, uh, then it's like, oh, yeah, he's on the ground and the Doom dude is showing up and he's about to do a, a, a powerbomb or whatever. And, uh, you know, it, it, it created this, this wonderful space for failure to be just part of the additional narrative of, you know, these, these characters are just absolutely getting destroyed before, you know, the, the, the final wrestler shows up and claims the belt um, with a metal chair, who actually was one of the characters. He's a Warforge that could turn into a metal chair, and his role was to be a metal chair that is being used to, like, slam the wrestlers. It's like, yes! Nice. Yeah, I, 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 uh, yeah, I think I think that's some good energy to to bring to the table, and um, yeah, that that's really cool. Like it, it seems like a lot of the way you build your encounters and your story is, it's very very. I mean, D and D is a very collaboration heavy game. Mm -hmm. Like you know, we all have those warnings of oh, don't split the party, um, and in some ways I disagree with that because I think no, splitting the party is great. Like it it makes everything more immediate and personal. And, and it increases risk, which increases engagement and buy-in, and that's great. But but it seems you uh, uh, a lot of your tools are designed around the communal, collaborative ki kind of approach. Do mm -hmm. do you use a lot of party splitting techniques? Occasionally, when you got to like uh, spotlight on a on a, on a kid. Recently, yes. Okay. Uh, just because that has become an absolute necessity, um, because I have nine people in my group. So okay. <laughs> trying to trying to manage that over Discord over a game session that is an hour and a half. I so I currently have this sort of murder mystery slash trying to figure out the layer of the bad guy thing going on, mm. where I've created a town. Every location has some NPCs uh, that know things. So the kids will uncover some clues and be like, okay, so we know that something happened at the tavern, something happened at the academy, and there's something happening at the mayor's office. So who wants to go to the mayor's office? So a couple of people will choose to do that. A couple of people will go to the academy. A couple of people will go to the bar. And I found that that creates some amazing spotlight stuff, makes some really fantastic small-scale roleplay, where a lot of the kids are really shy and kind of disengage a lot over Discord, are suddenly speaking up, um, rocking the spotlight. And I think the um, the unique dynamic of having just two very disparate characters showing up at like a, a, a dwarven like fighting bar, mm. um, you know, one being this muscle-bound barbarian, the other being a, a little scrawny wizard, um, and, you know, tr trying to interact with the patrons there makes for a, a very interesting scene it does and and yeah. and that's cool like yeah I, I don't think i could run a group with nine people i've done 12 i've done that's, 50 actually that's that is a lot of people the the 50 time was a uh lecture for a class on recreation okay 
and that was an absolute nightmare. I don't want to talk about that. Uh, 12, <laughs> 12 yeah. was when I was doing in-person social skills groups, and we, we ended up capping it at around eight people, just because 12 is way too many, yes. even with in-person. Yes. I, I, I think I think it, like, once the, like, I, I know my mental capacity and what I can manage, and it's like, look, anything over six, I think is like, all right, now we're stretching ourselves a bit. Like, I, I, I do run a pro table where it can be like, six or seven people, which is like at the upper end of what I would want to do online. But I don't know how I, I imagine in person I might do a little bit better just because it's kind of easier to say, hey, you know, and, and just like turn things around that way. But maybe, maybe not. You know, it. you really look at different tools you have um, and finding ways for each kid to have something to do. Because I, I think it's absolutely critical for kids to have this sense uh, or players to have this sense of, I know what I want to do. Mm. I know what I, I, what I know what my options are and I have this sense of what needs to happen. And sometimes them having nothing happening is that they need to do is okay. So long as there's options. And so some of my best sessions have been, Hey, you can go shopping. And the kids are all going to different stores and it's just sort of free form, open world stuff. Hmm. Um, but you got to be careful with that because if the world's not solid enough in their head, they'll just be like, I don't know, I, I stand there. Um, so I, I think you really want to make sure no matter what, that each kid has either a, a role playing goal or a plot goal that is somehow presented to them and that's again going back to the way I, I use those goals is i you know might have some shady npc you know show up and hand a hand the kid a note and suddenly great that that kid now has a plot hook because they had been disengaging a lot but now you know they have this this plot hook to engage with that that is cool and um i recently played through uh the streets of zobeck uh everyone lies um uh, thing with um, the, the pro table that I'm doing, which is uh, written by Ben McFarland, who is a lovely man. Um, and, and it's great because it like it, its engagement is a stranger sits down at your table and offers you a job. And even if you say yes, great, you've got a job. If you say no, you essentially get threatened by the secret police who tell you you are going to take this job. So it, it immediately, even if you say yes, like that happens too. So it, it kind of has that wonderful starting point of like, no, there is a call to adventure. You, But it also introduces like the dynamics of the town very, very quickly, which is to say, okay, there are organized thieves, but there are organ and there are organized police, but there are organized secret police. And suddenly you start to get like with a few, like one or two, just like, you know, NPCs introducing things you suddenly get a very interesting snapshot of a political landscape, which is telling the PCs, no matter which way you turn, there is something here for you to engage with, which I like. Yes. Yes. And I, I think that is really essential because I, I think so like one of the, the biggest problems with D and D and so many other games is, you know, you, you give someone a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You give someone a sword, everything looks like a target. And I think 
you know, I, I, I think things are getting better on this front, but I think the, the legacy of D&D as, you know, this, this wargaming-based thing is that people go, go in for combat and adventure, Mm. And that you know, you the one of the first things you do when you create a character is you give them a weapon, and I think that's that's something that people are beginning to reassess. And I'm very excited about that because I, I think that as much as I love a fun dungeon crawl and killing some monsters and stuff, I much prefer intrigue. Yeah. Um, and I try to build that as much as possible in my games. You know, I do courtroom dramas. I do a lot of mysteries. Uh, you know, I do pro wrestling. I, I have an anime dating sim that they can v- go into VR. and. I may uh, need to steal the details of that last one for um, my, my curse of Strahd, but he's a railway baron and we're fighting capitalism game. Yeah, it's called Autumn High Memories, okay. and it's this cheesy uh, romance anime where the kids pop in using this like fantasy VR thing, mm. and they all choose a character, and they have to go help whoever's playing the protagonist by role-playing as whoever their character is. So it might be the little sister, or the teacher, or the girlfriend slash love interest, or the high school rival. And so the, the the kids absolutely love it because they they're all anime fans. So they just like get completely hammy with it, like doing the cool gestures and like. Which is and what then I look at him. To do. Oh yeah, I was like, I look at him and I push up my glasses oh, to make them reflect. The smart ass glasses routine. <laughs> it's like, oh, he means business. And you know, I I created this character called the Stabber, and he's a murder hobo. And the okay. kids had to try to help the stabber run through a game of this. And, you know, I, I found that the cure for the murder hobo is to give the kids the responsibility of dealing with a murder hobo. And the stabber is this entity of pure stabby energy. And the kids realized, you know, th- this guy isn't evil. He just loves to stab things. And we <laughs> we need to teach the stabber social skills. That, that's that, and... that's an out of context quote there, my friend. He's not evil. He just love. He's like that robot from Futurama. He just got his stabbing knife. That's pretty much what he's like. And and you know the the last, um, one of the last major appearances of the stabber was he sent uh one of the kids a message and just said, hey, you know after the kid had really socialized him to understand appropriate times for stabbing, um. They sent him a, a letter saying, "Like, hey, I I got tickets for us to go to the theater together, and they're and they're backstage tickets. So afterwards, we can go meet the actors and stab them. Hope to see you soon." And they're just like, "Fine, you know what? This is fine. If you can sit through the play and stab the actors after, we we we, we progress. It's good progress. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. good enough." Did they write back with something like "Stay sharp" or something? Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, um, Peter, you are also designing a game. Um, yeah. that I believe you mentioned to me. I would like you to tell the people that you haven't told about this game, if you could tell them about this game. Because it, it is not a game, I think, that is written for me, being a you know cis-hetero white dude of extreme boringness. Um, but this sounds like a, a, like it is something that I may want to play in some other ways. So, so please enlighten everyone, because it sounds good. So... 
yeah, actually, it, it was kind of interesting. Um, so I came out of the closet a few years ago. Um, and uh, I've just very much a, a lot of denial, a lot of, you know, upbringing stuff. But I, uh, I found this queer game jam and did not read the instructions at all. And was just like, wow, a queer game jam. I'm going to do this. And so four hours later, I'd written 30 pages about this, this uh, RPG where you are kind of exiled from your home and um, you are exploring uh, or uh, you find work with a caravan and find some found family and they kind of protect you and you take on a role with this caravan. And, you know, after I finished this massive amount of work, um, I went back and actually read the rules of the game jam, realized I had completely messed everything up. And so I'm like, well, this is fine. And I actually started looking at kind of converting it to more of a social skills and teamwork building RPG. Hmm. And so I kind of built it out in that respect. And I kind of reused a system that I had been using for my social skills group where it was castle management, where the kids would, you know, every day they could interact with NPCs or get better at a skill or explore or, you know, help build the castle. And then every night they all had to come to a consensus. They would get some news and then some stuff might happen. I took that model and turned it into this, this caravan game. And the way it works is the kids spend each day uh, helping each other out. Mm-hmm. or improving themselves and then when something bad happens one person is the person that is doing the action and the other kids can donate dice based on how they want to help that person so say if it's like a wild bear is in front of the caravan uh well let's send the guy who is the the guard to go you know shoot a crossbow at it and then the kids uh might 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 get their their dice pool together and be like okay we have five six-sided dice uh, based on the guard's skills to hit some sort of goal or some sort of uh, challenge. Mm. And then so the other kids might be like, hey, I've been, you know, hanging out with this guard and really helping him and, you know, really kind of supporting him. It's like, oh, yeah, that, that, that'll that let you add another guy. Another kid might be like, oh, yeah, and I've been, you know, training this guy on nature and learning about all the wildlife. So I should be able to donate a die. And I'd say, yeah, sure. So it kind of builds up this sense of kids supporting each other. And then uh, there's also a journaling system where the kids kind of make their own uh, journal and log and kind of teaching some daily planning stuff there. Um, Cause you know, it's a useful skill and kind of fun as well. I, I, yeah. I like journaling and um, kind of the, the core piece of it is, you know, coming together as a team working together and there's a mechanic where if if the kids help each other they will 100 percent be able to pass any challenge that comes their way if they split the party if they're not working well together if they're not supporting each other it's not going to go so well and in my beta testing i've seen that and you know kind of the 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 population i think that would benefit for this group is kind of middle school-ish kids that really kind of struggle to interact with others. Um, you know, it's, it's very much kind of 
a, a niche, but at the same time, I've been playing it with a bunch of people in their 30s, and they're loving it. So it's still a lot of fun. Yeah, um, I, I, I will not argue um, that we could all use more help with social connection. Like, I think in in large part, that's why we play games like this, because we, we recognize that it's really necessary. It is so important to have our own narratives in this day and age. You know, I, I think there is a beauty in a story that is your own. And I, I, I remember this one time, uh, the, 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 there was a kid that had been with our group for a long time and, and a new kid. And I was just telling the new kid all, this, all the history of the world. Hmm. And the new kid's jaw was dropping. And he's just so blown away. And one of the older kids was just like, hey, he's not making that stuff up. We actually did all that. And I had to bite my tongue and from saying like, yeah, actually, I did make up all that stuff. But, but you know, to, to, to him, that was a real story. That was a shared history that he has. And, you know, that, that older kid has since graduated and gone off to college. But he still stays in touch with a lot of the other kids. They're still playing D&D on the side. And I, I think they're doing Curse of Strahd. Um, and it makes me so happy because those friendships are still going strong. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. Um, I mean, that that is, I think, the kind of game that I think a lot of us need in our lives. Like, I, like, I, I am a big 5th Ed fan. I like 5th Ed. But mm-hmm. I, I like 5th Ed enough to understand, yes, here's where it's not great. And I agree with you. Like, there's there's too much combat simulator in there in some ways, and not enough social dynamic simulator in there. Um, but I but I think a good dungeon master can also use some like decent mechanical adjustments to to make something, you know, a bit more flexible and a bit more good. Well, I I've been blessed to be with the same group for six years. So this campaign has been going on for six years. Nice. I recently I recently counted the NPCs. Uh, there's over a hundred, I think 150 NPCs. There's like 20 gods, 15 locations. Um, you know, it is a massive world that I have. And because of that, there is so much to draw from that defeats the whole idea of swords, including some very, very serious villains that cannot be defeated with violence you know there is a all-powerful merchant skilled which is loosely kind of based on amazon and they they cannot be defeated (laughs) they are they control all the commerce and you know they they can't be defeated by uh any sort of violence but they can absolutely be defeated by courtroom drama and the kids have jumped on that. It depends how much violence you're willing to bring. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, here's here's the amazing thing. Uh, there was this villain uh, that I loosely based on Farmer Bro, uh, Martin Shrikelly. He was this oh, stockbroker. Yeah, that dude. yeah, yeah, yeah. I based this. Face. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I based this character on him, and he he was running this. Um, this stock market called the soul bank where he would buy and sell souls that warlocks had, you know, obtained and sell them to various demonic uh, patrons and whatnot. And uh, the, the kids managed to 
take him out by remembering his name because he had made it so everyone had forgotten his name so he could get away with doing contract shenanigans. Once his name was remembered, the kids didn't have to do anything. All the angry patrons that he had swindled showed up and he vanished screaming. He later showed up as a drider having, you know, escaped and was just so full of rage and bitterness. And he now worked for the Merchants Guild. And, you know, at, at the end of the the campaign for that year, they had him cornered and he had lot, been stripped of all his powers. He was just a sad, disgusting drider with a knife. And the kids were just going to go and kill him. But then one, one of the kids said, no, dude, he's had enough. And they they just let him walk away. You know, the, the the next year he did show up with trebuchets um, because, you know, a, a good villain, you should certainly use him as much as you can. But the, the kids have found that it is so much better letting this guy live and be a punching bag. And they love to just ruin this guy's life. I, I, I agree with the energy they're putting out there. Yeah. And, um, and the, oh, they have never done any violence to this guy. But they, they got him turned into a drider. They crashed his stock market. They defeated him in court. They recently uh, did some hacking stuff. So he he's now been doing uh, side trading. That's been reported to senior management. So he got demoted to a basement filing room job. <laughs> it's, it's, it's beautiful. Excellent. That sounds really cool. So unfortunately, Peter, we are going to have to call it there because I do have to go do that thing uh, that pays the bills. Um, as, as much as I don't think capitalism is a system that works perfectly in and of itself, but you know, I need to eat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, um, so Peter, wh- where can people find you online? Because they should, because they should definitely be trying to find out more about everything you've just told me about. And I, and I will be needing the details of that anime game. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I will pull up as much as I can about that. Uh, they can find me at Roll for Kindness, R O L L F O R, Kindness, uh, on Twitter, and Roll for Kindness, same way it's spelled, dot com. Uh, that's my blog. Uh, and yeah, I hope to be putting out more uh, updates on the Caravan Endures. It's still in testing, so. If you'd like to help me with beta testing, please let me know. And then I hope to start working on a new game uh, about being a social worker in a dungeon. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. You know, yeah, you've got my detail. Shoot me. Shoot, shoot me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of my concept is I'm. someone wrote an article uh, where he said, oh, where was it? A monster is a symptom that somewhere, somehow, the world has gotten effed up. And I, I love that that concept. And, you know, instead of killing monsters, let's try and find what the problem is and help them. Sounds good. So that's that's going to be my next game. Cool. Um, cool. Peter, thank you very, very much for your time. This sounds really thank cool. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Uh, and everyone, um, I, I can, of course, be found at Nerdy People D&D. Um, Please go forth and love each other and be nice to each other where you can, but have good responsible boundaries set up because some people are not going to reciprocate the right way and there's nothing that you're responsible for there. <sighs> it's getting more and more complicated for me to say goodbye now. <laughs> Peter, again, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much.